Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Originally, it was called the Dull Band because of its so-called resemblance to a turban, and then it was called the Tulbent in Turkey, and then it was called the Tulip in France, and then, in the 1570s, it was called the Tulpe. Today, we call it the Tulip. Ben, so you're telling me it's not because it resembles two lips pursed together? Uh, apparently, you know, all, all this is in the eye of the beholder, Noel, but... In this case, the name comes from the resemblance to a turban. That's right, because it came from uh, the continent of Asia, right? It did. It came from Western Asia, from Turkey. And the earliest known instance of a tulip flowering in cultivation, they were just growing wild uh, beforehand, is in 1559. A guy named Johann Heinrich Herwart grew the tulip. Uh, I don't know if you're a fan of flowers or if our super producer, Casey Pegram, is a fan himself. Well, Casey Pegram is a, a flower in the desert, as far as I'm concerned. A rose in the concrete. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. So what about you, Noel? Are you, uh, would you say you're pro-flower? Well, I am, but I, I, I kill them. So I uh, am more of a succulent guy because they're a little more... Um, a little more sturdy, shall we say, mm -hmm. uh, a.k.a. a little more resilient, and uh, I, I don't kill them quite as often. But I still manage. I still manage. Yeah, succulents will be more hardy for sure. I always thought one of the toughest flowers to grow was the orchid. I only know one person who has a magic touch with orchids, and that's my mother. I don't know how she does it. It's because she's made of magic, Ben. She's made of magic, perhaps. And uh, she would be making a mint, allegedly, had she gone into the tulip game at a certain point in time. Because nowadays, it's pretty easy to buy tulips. You could go to your local nursery. You can go to your local, even um, a hardware store will have some tulips for sale often. Yeah, uh, like I think a dozen or so bulbs I found online for about $18 or something. And, um, you know, that's for every possible type of variety you could think of. Um, we are talking about a time where uh, the price of tulip bulbs 
uh, just went completely bonkers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely bananas. So I propose we tackle today's episode in the following way. Let's tell the story that's most familiar to everyone, and then let's, after that, see how much of this stacks up, you know, what the fact and the fiction actually are. Oh, that's the only way to do it, Ben. Yeah. All right. So in the early 17th century, the Dutch Republic experienced what a lot of people will tell you was the first example of an economic boom and bust, right? We we know about this kind of stuff here in the U.S. today with the housing bubble that burst in 2008. Uh, we know about this in various other points in time, but people will tell you that the Dutch Republic in the early 17th century, the 1600s, experienced the very first recorded economic bust, and it was called tulip mania. Tulip mania. Tulip mania. So what happened exactly? Well, it all revolves around the idea of speculation. Speculation being predicting what something will be worth in the future and placing your bets that it will be worth that or more. And then the bottom drops out potentially when that speculative price reaches completely disproportionate heights with the thing itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It all of a sudden becomes overvalued or people realize it's overvalued. For a series of reasons that we'll get into. Yes, yeah, for a series of reasons that can vary depending on the specific cases. In the case of tulips, essentially the, the way you'll hear this story pitched is that people in the Dutch Republic went absolutely bonkers for tulips, began paying exorbitant rates for them, that it gripped the country, and then eventually, that's the sound of a bubble popping. But how did we get here? What made tulips so popular? Well, it starts earlier than this fellow, but he's kind of the main dude that really introduced tulip culture into the Netherlands. His name was Corliss Clusius, and he created a very, very influential garden at the University of Leiden, and that was in the late 1500s. Um, He started this kind of tradition among horticulturists, which became kind of a gentlemanly pursuit of trading, you know, clippings and seeds and all kinds of, you know, tulip-related things, bulbs between each other in the interest of kind of spreading this tradition around. But it was within a very small set of very particular types of learned individuals, right? Mm -hmm. But then it kind of started getting a little bit out of control. And instead of just doing trades, these uh, folks who had the tulip bulbs started charging money for them. And then members of the merchant class, for example, who wanted to flaunt their newfound wealth, because this was kind of a relatively new class Mm -hmm. of people that could afford the finer things in life in this part of the country, they were experiencing uh, boom times. Um, They decided they wanted to get in on this craze because these flowers were very beautiful, and some of them in particular uh, that had kind of miscolored discolorations almost, Mm -hmm. they were even more desirable. They were like rare pogs or Pokemon. Exactly. And you have to catch them all. Yeah, so this this guy, Carolus Clusius, got this whole craze going around 1593, and tulips had several strong advantages that that set them apart from other flowers of the time. First, And we need to emphasize this. As you said earlier, Noel, they had these intense colors that other plants in the area just didn't have. Secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, it turns out that tulips can grow pretty well in this climate. This area, the Dutch Republic, 
doesn't have very good soil for, you know, most of the country. And it turns out that tulips love what is called poor soil. So not only can you have these beautiful, striking flowers, but you can actually grow them in a successful manner in a place where, you know, a lot of other flowers wouldn't grow. Here's the thing, though, Ben. I didn't know this at all. Um, tulips take a really long time to grow. It's true. Yeah, so you can do it with seeds, but seeds, tulips grown from seeds, take like up to six or seven years to grow. Mm -hmm. And then you have, I guess, what would be the same as like making a clone of any other type of plant, but it's a bulb. I guess it's called an offshoot, I believe, Ben. Um, And those only take three or four years, maybe even two years, if I'm not mistaken. And that was what people wanted. Um, And here's the thing that's also interesting about this whole story is that it kind of introduced some of the concepts surrounding futures trading. Right. Because you're not buying a full-grown tulip because you can't uproot a full-grown tulip or it will die. You have to wait until the summer when they go dormant. They literally go back down into Mm -hmm. these bulbs and only then can you dig them up. So people, these merchants, these aristocrats, these whomever that were just going wild for these tulips uh, had to buy the promise of a future tulip. Right. They would sign contracts before a notary to buy tulips at the end of the dormant season, which was from June to roughly September. That's when you could actually pull them out of the ground. And because of this, the Dutch, who had already developed a lot of techniques of modern finance, uh, created this durable goods futures market for tulip bulbs. And it went insane pretty quickly, you know, because you're not buying tulips today. You're buying tulips tomorrow. I'll gladly pay you Mm -hmm. Tuesday for a hamburger today, only Mm -hmm. the other way around. And then when you hear that other people in the market are paying increasingly extravagant prices, then you start to move with the market as well. If whether you are selling, whether you are buying, whether you are just trading tulip futures. Yeah, and let's remember, too, that these were not native to the Netherlands, and so they were already relatively scarce because mm-hmm. they take so long to grow. They weren't just overflowing, right? There, right? there was a scarcity and a rare quality to them, and that is what drives that kind of gotta-have-them-all mentality, right? Yeah. If it, anyone could have them, no one would care. Right, exactly. Kind of like hammer pants in the 1980s. I don't know. I think we're both too young to really deliver that reference. I just remember MC Hammer. So we said 1593. This is when it starts catching on. The early adopters, right? The the learned fans of flowerdom and horticulture start buying up tulips. By 1633, in some transactions, tulip bulbs actually replace currency. Uh, Historian Mike Dash found documentation of actual properties being sold for what he said were handfuls of tulip bulbs. And then more and more people heard these sort of friend of a friend of a friend stories about someone who got into the market, bought and sold tulips, and now they're set for life. And by that same year, 1633, when this stuff is really escalating, a single bulb of a tulip variety called Simper Augustus was already worth 5,500 guilders. 
Yeah, and Semper Augustus is that one with the uh, with the stripes. It's got mm-hmm. kind of red flame-like stripes on it. And this is super interesting. Um, it turns out that the, what causes that uh, condition is actually a virus. Yes, yeah, that's correct. And no one knew how to breed them to, I mean, I've known breed's not the right word, cultivate them to look like that. So they tried all kinds of crazy stuff, didn't they, Ben? Yeah, they, they tried— <laughs> They tried a ton of very strange things. They would, let's see, what was one of them? They buried it in a certain type of mud. Yeah, there was a pigeon dung, I believe, or pigeon guano, whatever you want to call it. Pigeon Um, poop. Poop. There you go. That's the right word. That's the science science word. Um, They also would even tie like a red and a white together and then bury them in the hopes that they would somehow commingle and create— yeah. Tulip osmosis. Very much so. Uh, my favorite is they would sprinkle the soil with pigments that they would <laughs> hope would somehow seep into the soil. And, you know, they, there was, they, they didn't know what they were doing. No, but they were just trying different things. I exactly. Mean, I think most people at the time would have made similar attempts. Those are just a few examples we know of, but we know that there were many other techniques, most of which were cartoonish failures and this just made these failures just made the specific types of high-end tulips even more appealing. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonneville. Oh, 
right? It's, oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now we see the the market exploding you would think maybe that by 1633 someone would have looked around seen a simper augustus bulb and said i don't think this is really worth 5500 guilders but no the bubble kept growing yeah and we actually had um situations where these deals were being made in back rooms of like inns and pubs and stuff. And it was all pretty organized. They uh, apparently were these smoke-filled rooms <laughs> where people were getting their drink on and their smoke on. And um, they had like these pieces of wood that they would write. They would essentially bid on these tulip lots. And it was like, I don't know. I saw this fantastic video series on YouTube that I was telling you about, Ben, that I think you had seen too, on a channel called Economics Decode. And uh, the guy, I, I don't see his name here. He doesn't really announce himself or lower third himself, but he does a fantastic job with illustrations and sound effects. And I really recommend checking it out. He does a three-part series on Tulip Mania. And he likens it to if when we had to go and buy a stock, mm. if we had to literally have a conversation with a bunch of dudes in a smoky room and arrive at an agreed-upon price. Because we take for granted how quickly information travels these days and how this, the price of things are just set. It's understood by algorithm. Or they change it in an almost uniform manner. Totally uniform. Whereas this was like a series of mini markets mm. in different parts of the country that were pretty isolated because you could only get information to another part as fast as a guy could ride there on a horse, right? Exactly. That's that's true. That's, uh, that's something that we can easily forget in the modern age of microsecond transactions and AI, quote unquote, helping people trade stocks. So the way the story goes is that this craze continues. Um, by 1635, you could see records of 40 bulbs, just 40 bulbs, being sold for 100,000 guilders or florins. And by way of comparison, at that time, in the same year, one ton of butter cost around 100 guilders. And someone who was a, a pretty skilled laborer, someone who practiced a trade of some sort, like a blacksmith, 
or a farrier or something, they might earn as much as 150 to 350 guilders a year. So this is a massive amount of money involved. And I really enjoy the part in the Tulip Mania series on Economics Decoded, where he walks us through the strange occurrence of February 1637. At this point, the price of a single Semper Augustus bulb that was worth 5,500 guilders in 1633 is easily worth 10,000 guilders. The center cannot hold. Things are going to fall apart, right? That's not what Shinua Achebe was talking about in his book, but you can see how this applies. And so, according to the story, the tulip market crashes very, very quickly, and people start to renege on those contracts that they had signed. So someone would say, look, you you owe me this much money for these tulips, and they would just refuse to pay. Yeah, and they got into a real sticky situation where the sellers had the tulips now at that delivery period where they'd gotten them out of the ground, mm-hmm. and there's only a limited amount of time before they are going to not be viable anymore, that they have to rebury them, but nobody's like accepting them. People are like, no, I don't, I don't want them. I'm not going to pay you. And I think small claims court got involved where right. they, they had to essentially get the courts to help them come up with a system of, you know, repayment uh, that was agreeable by both parties and ended up being a small percentage like of 3% of the price uh, promised or whatever. Because again, these futures and again, this wasn't really exactly futures trading. It was sort of like some of the same style of economics as futures trading. But futures trading has protections built in that this just didn't. And this is kind of just like the Wild West. And so you wouldn't pay full price. And you'd get like a – you would get a deal because you're – taking on risk. Your your tulip might not turn out, and you don't get to just say, oh, my tulip didn't turn out. I'm not going to pay for it. That's technically not allowed, even though that's kind of what these people were doing, but it wasn't about the tulip not turning out. It was more about the whole system kind of falling yeah. apart. And but it, you don't pay full price. You pay a little bit less because you're soaking up some of that risk for the grower. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's an interesting step here that I want to make sure we don't miss. Because of the precipitous rise, the price of tulips, most speculators by 1637 couldn't afford to buy even the cheapest tulips. And this is what triggered the collapse in demand. And then when the demand disappeared, the flowers quickly became worth maybe 10% of what they had been worth the day or the week before. And this This sounds funny. This sounds like some sort of Dr. Seuss parable, but the real-time effect and the real-life effect of this is that people encountered financial catastrophe. People's lives were ruined when the tulip trade collapsed, and as you said, with the the courts getting involved, these vicious fights over debt continued for years and years and years, and thus the tulip boom and bust of the Dutch Republic became one of the most well-known financial cautionary tales in the Western world until about 1980, when people realized that there might be more to the story. Because it turns out that the story we just we just relayed to you, ridiculous historians, is primarily based on uh, a work of a Scottish journalist named Charles McKay. In 1841, he wrote a book called 
extraordinary popular delusions in the madness of crowds. He sourced his story about this, uh, this tulip boom and bust from a guy named Johann Beckmann, who in 1797 wrote a book called A History of Inventions, Discoveries, and Origins. And then Beckman's story, we trace this back, comes from three anonymous pamphlets that were published in 1637, the same year everything went to pot, and they were hit pieces. Ben is slicing the air like a knife with his hand right now <laughs> because he feels very strongly about this. And I agree for a good reason. Hit pieces indeed because he had an axe to grind. He did not like the practice of speculation at all. And neither did McKay. Um, and even today, this idea of futures is considered amoral by many. And it's a lot of, a lot of it is, is felt to be a type of gambling because you're making bets on things that you don't actually own. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You're taking this piece of paper that says, I own the idea of this thing, what does not yet exist, and then you're selling it to somebody else for an inflated price based on this imaginary number that keeps getting higher and higher and higher. It's sort of like subprime mortgages, for example, where um, you keep betting on something and people don't fully understand, you know, what the market is going to do. And then it does a thing that no one quite saw coming. And then all of a sudden, all those bets you made, you got to pay them, but nobody has the money to pay them. Yeah, the research was not done. And at least in the subprime mortgage uh, crisis, there is overwhelming evidence that several people knew exactly what was happening and just decided to let it happen. Oh, because you can make money. That's the thing <laughs> right. about bubbles, right? Yeah. If you ride it out at the right time, you ride that wave correctly, mm -hmm. you can make a lot of money. And we see other examples of this. Beanie Babies, that's an example. Pogs. Uh, I was talking off air a while back with uh, Casey about Bitcoin Casey, do you remember? Uh, do you remember Bitcoin? I do remember Bitcoin. Yes. Are you Are you involved? Are you a Bitcoiner? No, no. I I got out of Bitcoin a long time ago, so um, no, I don't have a stake in Bitcoin anymore. But didn't you get out like a little too early? I did indeed. Yeah. Um, I bought when it was like maybe like a dollar or something per Bitcoin, uh, and then at its height, it was worth some crazy amount, like maybe close to twenty thousand dollars of Bitcoin. Uh, but I sold when it was far less than that. There's like a lot of people who have parked way too much money in Bitcoin who have lost mm -hmm. a lot over the last several months. It's, and, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting kind of uh, comparison. And there are more Bitcoins on the market, right? So, oh, yeah. There's like Ethereum. There's there's a bunch. Yeah, there's... There's Dogecoin. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's all these weird like meme coins. And mm -hmm. there's one I was reading about called Stablecoin, which is literally just pegged to the US dollar. So it's <laughs> kind of like, what's even the point? But apparently uh, the idea is you can kind of... I don't know, launder money with it or something. So, you know. Oh, good. The world of crypto, yeah. So, so we do see an interesting comparison there. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino <laughs> and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. We also know that the Tulip story itself, the story of Tulip Mania, may have been a case of people playing telephone throughout history based on essentially uh, works of propaganda that were anti-speculative, anonymously published pamphlets. Mm -hmm. And this means that this means that we have more research ahead of us. There are some wonderful books about tulip mania. There are two that are both called tulip mania, right? And the authors of these books will assure you and assure us that the phenomenon was 
actually exaggerated, that contrary to what McKay says, it was not a situation wherein every single person on the na- in the nation, from paupers to royalty, were losing their minds and gouging their eyes out to buy more tulips. Because I learned something in this research is that the Dutch more or less invented the model for the modern stock exchange. Mm -hmm. So it would certainly make sense that this uh, was something that happened in their neck of the woods. And they also, you know, were a huge trading empire. Uh, And they established New York City and um, all of, you know, the Dutch East India Trading Company and all of that. I mean, it was definitely in their national identity. Right. Harlem is uh, originally a town in the Netherlands. Harlem is where the... (laughs) The infamous um, uh, collapse of the market supposedly happened mm-hmm. during that uh, that auction where nobody bid. Yeah, that's Harlem with two A's. That's right. And another thing that I want to point out too from from that video series we mentioned, um, the guy in that video series points out something that I think should not be ignored is that gambling was a huge, another huge part of their public, their national consciousness. Uh, People would make bets on the craziest things. I think he points out one about a guy who bet that he could uh, ford a river in a tiny wooden uh, barrel or like a a trough or something like that. And uh, I believe it was Rembrandt, the famous painter, who bet on whether he'd be alive the next year or not. So, I mean, it was definitely a thing that was very popular. So it's almost like, you know, why not let's bet on tulips? And also, we haven't mentioned the fact that the plague was a big part of this, and people's life expectancy was very short. Around so 40. It was, yeah, it was kind of like YOLO. Let's do this. Right. You know? Yeah, and with these important instrumental pieces of context, we can unpack a little bit of the fact versus fiction around tulip mania. Uh, We mentioned people did have their lives ruined financially at the time. That is true, but it may have been far fewer people than McKay would have us believe. In fact, uh, some researchers have found fewer than half a dozen people who experienced financial trouble in that time period during the tulip boom and bust. And you'll hear people argue that Although prices had risen, money had not actually changed hands between buyers and sellers, so the profits were never realized for the sellers unless they had made other purchases on credit expecting their tulip money to come in sometime between June and September. So the collapse in prices, the argument goes, did not actually cause a ton of people to lose real tangible money. Just had a a series of interesting, increasingly desperate conversations. Yeah, it's actually um, really cool that we got to do this story because I just the other day was asking my girlfriend's um, stepdad. Uh, he's a big Scotch fan. Mm-hmm. And I was something, something I've always wondered, I asked him, was how is it sustainable to have these scotches that you age for 20, 30 years or whatever and have that be viable when you need to be selling stuff, selling product right away? And uh, I think I'm explaining this right, but it was another form of futures where you have a certain elite that are investing in barrels, investing in particular lots or whatever of the good stuff, the really long-aged kind of fancy stuff that they do in smaller batches in order to finance the quicker turnaround product. And I just thought that was really interesting. This is a very similar example to that. Like, how do you take a, something that requires years to actually generate a tangible thing and make that a market where people are actually going to pay into it? And that's that's how you do it. It's very similar to with whiskey. Yeah. Uh, wine would be another great comparison, I believe. Uh, this story, while it does seem to have a, a cautionary aspect to it, and while it does seem to be sort of a, a morality tale, 
we know that it's been exaggerated. It hasn't been completely made up. This really did happen. And I would say that this means it still functions as a crucial lesson in these, our modern days. Don't buy tulips for too much money. You know what I mean? And don't, we have to be, we have to be very cognizant and very self-aware of group think and group panics. Mm-hmm. Something like this will come along every so often. Oh, and another interesting little tidbit I picked up along the way is that what happens when you start um, increasing supply over years mm-hmm. in a market that relies on scarcity <laughs> right? <laughs> to create the actual value of the thing itself? All of a sudden, it ain't so scarce anymore. And then people are like, well... <laughs> Well, here's, a, here's another example that's tangentially related, and that's a good point, Noel. OPEC recently met to reduce production of petroleum, and they did that not because they were worried about running out of reserves, but because the price globally of oil fell too low for their liking. And now, technically speaking, the U.S. is, depending on how you measure it out, the U.S. is the world's largest producer. Interesting. Right? And that's where futures really come into play today is with things like oil, like absolutely uh, necessary, tangible goods. Yeah, yeah, it's true. As opposed to tulips, which are kind of like frivolous. And have you heard that uh, that Monty Python sketch about the lupins? Oh, yeah. Dennis Moore? I think Gabe had reminded me of that one, too. Maybe we should go out on that because it's such a fun reminder of how absurd this whole story really is. Let's do that. That's a good idea. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. We want to hear your opinions on other economic crazes. And if you had fun listening... Uh, Let us know. In lieu of sending us tulips, why not head over to our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians, or drop by Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. Right now, my fine friends. No false moves, please. I want you to hand over all the lupins you've got. Lupins? Yes, lupins. Come on, come on. What do you mean, lupins? Don't try and play for time. I'm not. You mean the flower lupins? That's right. But we haven't got any lupins. Honestly? Look, my fine friends, I happen to know that this is the Lupin Express. You must be out of your tiny mind. Get out the coach. Well, so much for the lupins. Dennis Moore, Dennis Moore, galloping through the sward. Dennis Moore, Dennis Moore, and his horse Concord. He steals from the rich and gives to the poor, Mr. Moore. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.